Kirai, and you're listening to For the. Listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or even game design. Joining Roger from Wow Dogs, and for the lore is Joe, writer for World of Maticus, and Enrique of Spooncraft. Hello and welcome to For the Lord, this is Roger coming to you on Monday, the 5th of July. And for our American listeners, hope you all had a fantastic 4th of July. And for the Canadian listeners, ours was the 1st just earlier. So I hope you guys had a fantastic weekend with lots of fireworks and lots of booze. Um, we're going to start off, actually, I should probably say, we got Joe and Vince with... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who cares See, about those guys? Yeah. Uh, for the record, I'm not... I haven't been drinking. I'm just medicated right now. So it's going to be quite a, a mellow podcast. Um, we're going to start off fresh with some cataclysm news because the beta, people got bounced into the beta. Granted, a lot of people had a hell of a lot of trouble getting into it. But we've been finding out a lot more now because, you know, regardless of NDAs, word gets out as soon as there's a beta and there's a lot of people who have them. So, Joe, you actually had some news that you wanted to go on about that. Yeah, I've, I've actually been able to play around in the Cataclysm beta, and oh my god, we were talking about how effective Blizzard's going to be about updating a five-year-old game. Um, th- if this beta is any indicator how the final product's going to be, they've done a really, really, really good job. Um, it's polished, it's beautiful. The graphics engine has been updated quite a bit, and I'm not just talking about like uh, the zones, even the old races right now, like dwarves, uh, trolls, everything that had a lower polygon count than uh, like the Blood Elves and the Draenei. Smooth and polished, uh, looks a lot nicer, a lot more vibrant, um, and it just the 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 game, the scope of the game, it just seems bigger now. I don't know what they've done, but. For the first hour I had access, all I did was sit there and fly around. And I flew around Stormwind and Ironforge, um, just basically looking at how everything is different and how everything's been constructed. I mean, Stormwind's completely different. Ironforge is roughly the same, but Stormwind, oh my God, huge facelift. The castle got a huge facelift. All the battlements got a huge facelift. The park absolutely destroyed. Looks beautiful. Fire looks awesome. Water looks awesome. Um, It just visually, the game is phenomenal. It really, really is phenomenal. Um, I had everything turned up to the highest settings and it just looked gorgeous. Um, other thing that I've noticed, I've been healing the five man instances. There's two of them available. Um, there's the underwater one seat of, I can't remember the name of it. And then there's one for the, um, uh, one of the black rock ones and healing is ridiculously harder right now. Um, why? 
I don't know what it is, um, but I know for me, I mean, I'm in I'm in pretty top end gear right now. Um, When I look at the gear and the, the way the stats are allocated, transferring over into the beta, there's about a 500 spell power loss right there. Um, there's a huge mana pool crippling. Um, like I lost maybe 8,000 mana, which is a pretty big deal. Um, my mana regen was cut in half. So I'm going from 700 or so to about 350. And uh, that comes up to about 500 when you can in the mastery. But even still, it really, really counts. And they were saying that they wanted to make healing more challenging. Well, they've done it. Um, I actually had a Blood Death Knight tank um, in uh, the underwater one, who it's about 70k hit points. He got three shot at one point. I had no time to react. So healing is definitely, definitely going to be tweaked, hopefully, because right now it's just super hard. Yeah, see, challenging is, there's there's that fine line between making something challenging and just making it too difficult wherein it's no longer fun. Right, and that, I mean, I understand they want to have consequences and everything like that, and I think that they're doing a good job as far as that's concerned. The mana cost for at least the shaman spells seem about right where they need to be, um, but it's just, if it remains this hard, um, it's it's not going to be fun anymore. So I think it's going to be tweaked. Um, one of the things I did also notice is a lot of the abilities for some of the various classes are not in right now. Um, like for Restoration Shaman, Tidal Force, which is our three-minute cooldown crit increasing talent. Um, you can spec into it, but it's not available in any of your spell slots. <laughs> so you go to looking for it, it's not there. Um, and it doesn't really affect your output that much but it's enough to notice that when i'm sitting there toggling the button that i normally have assigned for i'm like oh um let's see what else well just to point out real quick uh, a lot of your problems might also have to do with the uh changes to the tanking mechanics especially as a death knight i was reading something uh I think on MMO Champion, it was a blue post about how they're not happy with the way parry is currently working. And obviously, if you're a Death Knight, parry is a very big part of your mitigation. So that might have some to do with your poor little Death Knight friend. Yeah, but still for 70,000 health to be gone in three swings on a five man boss. I'm just don't don't be, you know, that upset over your healing. It's it's a combination of several things. I mean, I'm I'm not upset. I'm just saying it's just it was kind of a uh, one of those things where like I understood it was going to be harder, but it was kind of a slap in the face and say like, you know, it was the douse of water when you're asleep in bed. It's like, holy shit, this is definitely going to be harder. I mean, I was able to successfully heal after that, but it's just it's kind of the difficulty is there. There is a lot more complexity in the game than there was than there is right now uh, than there was years ago when they said it was too mathy um they've may have reduced some of the stats they may have taken some stats away and put them somewhere else but there is still a lot of of complex movement and a lot of complex spell casting involved now so uh, i'm i'm fairly impressed and i'm looking forward to getting more uh more time with it and i will actually be putting up videos probably within the next week hmm. so how much of the new stuff have you seen in terms of the the worgen stuff then uh, the Worgen starting experience, I have a Worgen. Um, it is insane, uh, I think would be the best way that I can put it. Uh, the stuff that you do, the stuff that you have to do in order to survive is ridiculous. As far as starting experiences go, goblins may have a cooler mount and goblins may have cooler totems, but nobody has the starting experience of the Worgen beat, hands down. I mean, it is, it's epic. It just feels 
epic. It, it, it feels dark and grainy and you are forced to do things that would make a normal, hu- normal human being just kind of, you know, revile. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's nice. It's, it's engrossing. And I couldn't stop once I had the character, like I was going through the starting experience like, oh, and I'll just play for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Not a big deal. Next thing I know the sun's coming up and I'm just completing the, uh, the Worgen area because that's how engrossing it is. Uh, it's, it's nice. Uh, the animations are nice, uh, at least for the males. They don't have the females playable yet. Um, but it's just, it's a completely different experience. Um, I've also started a dwarf shaman over on the beta as well, um, because you can't transfer over an 80 pre-made, um, but you can have one come over uh, level one. And, uh, the starting experience for the dwarves even is ridiculously different than it was. It, it is so much it's like new life is being breathed into the beginning part of this game from all the starting experiences. I fully plan on making a starting character of all the races just to see how much it's changed. I mean, even, even traveling through Ruthgar, Ruthveran village, uh, Ruthveran village, whatever it is, the one, uh, at the base of Teldrassil is ridiculous. Everything is different. It is literally like stepping into a new game with familiar controls. Hmm. It, it and Jenny's absolutely right. It feels a lot less like an expansion and more like a completely new game. Like uh, it, it feels yeah, but like not only me, is it going to keep. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Let me just ask you this, and you can keep going though. Is it? Does it feel like that? Because it's again, it's a shinier wow, which is what we've wanted for quite a while. But we wanted also a lot of different things for it as well case in point things that we're seeing with other games that we're going to be talking about later but is it just because of that brand new shiny that it's like wow this is so cool but that's going to wear off real fast or are there really that many differences in it i mean in terms of core mechanics it's still the same core mechanics although they're making like you were just saying they're making the healing harder and all that and i'm sure they're they're making uh, different changes to different classes and all that but at its core it's still very much the same game just a lot shinier right now well you know me you know how skeptical i am of games you know how critical i am of games especially when they try to rehash something and put it back out there and honestly so far i can say that it's not just the shiny factor it's not just the polish factor it's not this is a brand new coat of paint on the car factor this is uh this is the world we're familiar with completely turned on its ear this is everything we've known about this game goes out the window the base mechanics are still there but it's completely new everywhere else uh the best comparison that i can put is really dungeons and dragons um dungeons and dragons system has changed over the years it has different dice systems it has uh from going from 30 to 35 to 40 completely different mechanics with the same basic system but each one feels like a completely different game that's what i mean um Um, And it's something that I think that once the old people that have quit this game um, start to see more of, or maybe if they happen to find a beta invite in their mailbox or something like that, they're going to get rehooked again. It's that same infectious feeling I got the very first time I loaded the game. The very first time that I saw the opening cinematics and went into the world and, you know, killed my first trog. Uh, It's it's like that but more so and i don't know I, I i can't chalk that up to just the shiny factor because it's really not I, you can give me a polished a polished game that looks absolutely phenomenal and it can still be a piece of shit <clears throat> ion um you know and i'll hate it i'll absolutely hate it you can give me something that i've done to death and i will tell you that i've done it to death but this feels it just feels like i'm moving through with similar 
controls through a game that's completely new. Same interface, different space. Vince, do you think that would actually be enough to get you back in? I'm sure it'll be enough to get me back in, but uh, it's just a question of how much it can keep me in once uh, some of the other games we're anticipating come up. Yeah, see, that's the thing too. Like, I'm, I'm, I, I would actually really enjoy being able to get into the the beta to fool around and to see um, just how different it is. Um, it's not a game that I want to give up on. It's just that I keep feeling again because of the the things that we're going to be seeing in a lot of the other stuff that's going to be coming out is making a leap that it did not feel like this was. That being said, again, I haven't played it, so I wouldn't be able to, to know for sure. And if, in fact, it is making that huge a leap, um, then maybe it is something to to get back into it and to, to see whether or not it, it will hold out. The thing that I keep thinking as well, though, is that once you get through those starter zones again and you're back on the rock and outlands, at that point it's the same game there's nothing they haven't touched that or northrend so you see what i mean that it's only going to have that 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 feel like a new game up until a certain point well that said northrend itself is more in line with how the game is you know we have the newer models we have the newer zones the prettier zones things like that now yes i, I we're probably not going to see an update to that um but we are probably going to see an accelerated move through with the Burning Crusade stuff like we did see a little bit with Wrath. We're going to see where uh, we're not as likely to spend that much time in Outland, so it won't be that big of a factor. You know, maybe a few levels before we can, you know, push through a couple dungeons and get up to the, get up to, to Wrath and then push through that and get into uh, the new higher-end stuff. Um, one thing I will also say is leveling, for the most part, uh, was made a joke. I think we can all agree on that. Um, getting from level 80 to 81 felt like a fucking epic journey. Let me tell you. Um, it really felt like I earned that level. It felt like I crawled over broken glass for like 15 miles just to get that level. So, I mean, they're really making it, you know, worthwhile. Like when I accomplished it, when I, when I was done, I felt as if I had accomplished something, which is, you know, to me is interesting because it's just a damn game. Um, but I still felt pretty damn accomplished getting that next level. But where are you? Is this all through dungeons or where are you getting? Questing. I'm doing most of my leveling through questing. Um, there are some through the dungeons just to see what they were. But I want to see the different quest chains. And the quest chains are well written. Um, they are the ones where that are, are they? Where all are they? They, 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 they will send you literally quite all over the place. There are, um, the coolest thing that I saw is just as a shaman here, um, I walked into Stormwind and um, I went to go see the trainer because I had to go um, train up some of the abilities that didn't transfer over for whatever reason. They said, go see your trainer. It's in the, in the spell book. So I walk up to the trainer and there's a huge exclamation point on top of her head. Um, in front of her are two dwarf shamans from the Wildhammer clan in full shaman gear. Um, and it says, you've been gone for a while. Um, you've been set forth in the world and you're, you're kind of out of touch with things. You don't know what's been going on. I highly suggest you go sp speak to Nabundu. Uh, go, you should probably go now. Uh, so you get this sense of impending doom, like the way it's written, I'm not doing it justice, but it just, you read it and it's like, oh, wow, that's not good. 
I haven't talked to him in a very long time since level 15. I probably, probably this is a bad thing. And you go and you talk to him. And right now there's a set of quests that have you going to speak with these elemental lords um, that you previously got your totems from trying to quell unrest. And there's this building sensation of doom that I, I believe is ultimately leading up to the events and like what's going on in Hygel. Um, the chain's not completed yet because the chain completes uh, somewhere in the 84 range and right now the level cap is at 82. But it's just it, the way that it leads you through the world, the way that it makes you go and revisit these places, not only to see how much they're different, but to kind of integrate your past into the story, at least from the class perspective, is ridiculous. I thought that was a really nice touch because literally, I mean, I may write about Nabundu in my stories, but I don't give him a second thought when I'm in the damn game. You know, he's just an NPC there. Hmm. So it's 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 captivating. It really is captivating. It's it's nice to see, you know, and I mean I even double checked like at first I thought maybe it's a low level quest that they put in for you know shaman leveling, but no, it's it's a level 81 quest. It it's the the first one you get is from the trainer. So, I mean, it's it's there. There are new stuff there to, to move you through the world and to build up the story of Cataclysm. They seem to be putting a lot more emphasis on the story through questing, not just raids, not just five-man content and heroics, uh, not some wondrous item that you may find that starts a quest, but through the actual questing content of the game. And um, that's what we need more of. Because it, yes. I, with the, again, I'd said it before too, the randoms were great in terms of giving people the experience of running a dungeon so that they don't just get to 80 and then have no clue how to play their class in a, in a raid or a dungeon or whatever. But they made it too easy to level without ever setting foot outside of a capital city. And so that then takes away a lot of the, the lore that is elsewhere in the world. So if they're able to... Um, to put stuff everywhere to actually get you back into the world to do stuff, then that's actually fairly cool. Okay, let's move on from there now. As long as you're done, was there anything else? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm good. I'm done gushing about it, so we can right. we can move on. All right, uh, let's move on to a couple other games right now because we're talking about next gen MMOs kind of stuff, and then we got to see some trailers and some information at E3. However, we also got to see some now they've released some of the gameplay video comparisons that were done, uh, not comparison, but footage that was for uh, Star Wars: The Old Republic as well as for Terra. Now, the stuff for Star Wars um, is interesting because it actually is showing you some uh, multiplayer footage showing the uh, the class mechanics and how it'll work. It's not very long, but it is still interesting to see where what it's going to feel like because a lot of what we've seen has either been... Um, trailers which don't count or a single player experience but even then only a couple of seconds as they splice it through kind of thing so this was more of one situation where the group is taking on multiple mobs and talking about how it works with say the trooper being the, the tank and then the Jedi being the DPS and things like that. So it was. I'm actually going to play it here so that folks can uh, watch it in the audience. And I'll just make sure that the volume is off. So if we lag a little bit, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> but what we'll talk about the Star Wars one first, and then we'll tackle Terra. So what did you guys think about the um, the Star Wars footage? Vince, you go ahead, man. Yeah. I <laughs> well, I. A lot of people have talked about, again, just how they're saying in the audience there about how the older public does look a bit awkward. And 
yeah, okay, I'll buy that. But, you know, we're still pretty early in the development cycle compared to a lot of the other games we're seeing these days. But there is a lot there that I just really liked, too. Like, I love the fact that the trooper is a ranged tank. You know, as someone who's played a tank, you know, in World of Warcraft and other games, the thing you hate the most is when you come up against a ranged enemy and you got to work some funky stuff with corners and whatnot to get them into a place where you can actually do something to them. So in a game like the Old Republic, where let's say half the enemies you're facing are going to have blaster rifles or pistols or something, having the ability to tank at range is a very nice uh, gameplay element that I'm glad they added in. Yeah, no, actually, I agree. That's something that I noticed right away, too. And I thought it was fairly cool. Joe? And it's something we weren't expecting. Everybody's yeah, everybody's like, oh, the Jedi, the Jedi's, not tank. Jedi's got it. And I'm like, oh, wait, the guy with the big gun is tanking. Awesome. I, I like the idea of a ranged tank quite a bit. Um, I've done quite a bit of tanking uh, now on my Paladin uh, in WoW, and it's just closing a gap to try to get something in ranged is ridiculous. Uh, in PvP, hunters kiting you, things like that, range classes kiting you, it's just nowhere near as good. And I like the idea that Jedis are being not a tanking class because there should be some form of, uh, I want to say, fragility to them at least a little bit. If something's able to get hits on them, they don't wear armor. They don't really, you know, they're not really physically uh, beefy. Not all of them. They're not all Mace Windu. Uh, so it's nice to see that they're not just going to be sitting there soaking while putting out ridiculous amounts of damage. Um, that got me a little bit excited. Um, and yes, yeah, so you are right that it is early in the development phase. Um, but combat is a little clunkier than I did expect to see. Um, I think it has to do a lot with just balancing all the different powers that play into the combat, maybe. But still. What do you we'll mean see. clunky, though? it just seems I'm trying to think of how to phrase it it's like they're trying to take the combat system from Knights of the Old Republic and almost like shoehorn it yeah. into a more real time setting yeah and it does that doesn't work quite as well um, but yeah that's that's actually the best way that I can think to phrase it I agree with Vince see I don't see but, that uh, at all myself yeah. I just want to say uh, Malagash out there in the audience points out a great uh, point that had kind of surpassed me at the point at when I first saw it, but that since the bounty hunter is the Sith uh, counterpart to the trooper, does that make the bounty hunter the Sith's tank? And no, it doesn't. We've been told that the Sith warrior is going to be the tanking class for the Sith, which to me is a very welcome bit of information because we've seen that you know we have the two sides and that everything has their parallel. The Sith Inquisitor has the Jedi Consular. Uh, the Imperial Agent has the Smuggler. So even though there are counterparts to each other, it's showing that they're going to play vastly different. The Republic Trooper and the Bounty Hunter, while they may be similar in play style, are going to have vastly different roles in the game. Yeah, no, it's... Um, see, I didn't have a problem with the video in terms of the, uh, the combat and stuff like that. I didn't find that that it was clunky in the least um not maybe not as polished as i thought it would be based on some of the other stuff but i liked some of what they did in terms of again your consular who was healing also dishing out some damage while they were there um and it looked like maybe they could have even done more if they weren't if they were more used to the clasp, say, and uh, and whatnot, that they could have been doing much more damage and then also tossing out heals as needed as well. Um, so, no, I, I was actually quite 
impressed with it as a whole and i like the mechanics of the the group mechanics as well of the classes um i did i really like seeing the jedi as just a dps that's handling all of the the extra trash while the troopers taking on the uh, the, the the main boss i, I really love that a lot so let's move on from that one then to Terra. Because I freaking love that trailer. (laughs) So for, again, the folks in the audience here, I'm going to play this, make sure the volume is off. So if we, if our voices uh, stutter every once in a while, it's because of this. Um, The, the, the terror trailer was absolutely insane. So now what we've got here is we've got, again, a group going up and um, heading towards a boss. And along the way, there's, not mini bosses, but there's mobs and things like that. And there are mini bosses, I guess, as well, too. Because of the way the game is um, set up in terms of combat, where it's it's very much reactionary and you are having to you are having to aim you are having to dodge which i love that don't expect that you're going to have a a dodge percentage you know no if that if the if the hooves are coming down over your head how to dodge because if you don't you're going to be stunned and that's something that we did see as well and they were talking as well about the um the fact that the um the, the, the mobs essentially let you know when something's coming up. If there's going to be an attack that's going to do a significant amount of damage or something like that, you're going to see something, which is then going to get you used to it as you are working towards um, a strategy to take down a boss or whatever with a group. You'll know, okay, he's stamping the ground. That means get out of the way, which, I mean, we see that in a lot of different games so you know something's coming up um but this because of the fact that it's much more of a reactionary combat style those actually mean a lot those little tips you're gonna have to be watching out for that because as soon as something is about to happen you only have like a second to get out of the way but other than that i really like the way that the group worked together as well and especially again man the healing in this game looks like it's going to be a lot of fun yeah, and it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. You got it. It seems like a good example of how to make thoughtful healing without making it ridiculously hard. I mean, you have to place your spells. You have to target the people. You have to trigger the spells. Um, you are not a one-trick pony. You can do things in between those heals, um, and you see this become a more common trend in more action-oriented uh, MMOs. So it's it's nice it's nice to see it and it really has me excited because as a heel monkey and i am definitely a heel monkey um this may this may sway me uh more away from being okay with maybe my papori lancer doesn't happen if i can have a kick-ass healer going so i was excited i was really excited to hear it and also to bring some of the fun into the healing gameplay as someone who can't stand healing for the most part, when you're playing a healer, you're just standing there clicking your buttons. That Barada was hoofing it around that battlefield trying yeah. to stay out of danger. Mm-hmm. But all right, here's here's something that kind of bothers me about it, though. Like, OK, they've shown how they have all these great tip offs when they're about to do a big move. How many of you have been in an instance with a rogue that didn't realize he was on fire? <laughs> yeah. You really think he's yeah. going to pay attention to the left yeah. hoof? You know, when deadly boss mods is screaming, get the hell out of the way, you moron, and he still takes a one-hit kill to the face. 
I'm so thinking that's what's going to be happening is that you're going to have somebody like the healer, which is, I think that in this game, more so than other games, the person leading the group is not going to be the tank in this case. It will be the healer who is far enough back so that when you're in TS or Invent or whatever, the healer is going to be the one that's going to notice things from far back and say, hey, get the hell out of the way now. He's getting ready to do something kind of thing. And yeah, and that's is going to be really important in this game. I, I think it's going to weed out the bad players a lot better than Warcraft does. I think that's that's a good point, too. I mean, we always talk about the bad people and in instances that ruin our pugs and stuff like that. But this adds a certain amount of accountability because, I mean, uh, I don't have to heal them. I'm not obligated to heal them. I don't heal them now, but I'm just saying uh, it's it's nice to see that they will die if they're not paying attention, uh, that they will probably not want to play this game uh, because they're really bad at it. And I'm OK with that. I'm OK with that. You know, having one. Yeah. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with, you know, having a dedicated, a dedicated player base that is actually intelligent and and wants to play the game cooperatively. You know, that's actually a, a big one there, and I hadn't thought of it in in those terms. But the, it, it, it's true. If the, part of the problem with um, with WoW is that it's too easy and too accessible for everybody. And I know it sounds ridiculous to say something like that, but that's exactly the, the problem. And so you wind up with a very large population that has absolutely no clue how to play their class or how to play with other players and things like that. Whereas something like this, because you're looking at it more in terms of the, again, the blend of... I don't want to say first-person shooter because that's wrong, but you know what I mean with an RPG where skill will actually matter. Playing with your team. Oh, and when the mob is calling out who he's pissed off at, dude, that made me laugh. I, that I, was awesome. That was absolutely <laughs> awesome. Not to cut myself off there, but it happened during the, 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 the footage here that I'm playing. But yeah, when they're calling him off, and yeah, you. Um, but yeah, no, it's going to mean that people are going to have to work together. Um, it doesn't, I don't think it means that you're going to have to group for this game. However, if you do, I think you're going to have such a rich experience if you have a, a core group of players. And it's not going to be like, um, again, wow, where you need a, a, a large guild in order to be able to progress and things like that. Whereas this, I mean, if you can get a group of five guys that are just regular get together a couple of nights a week to, to cruise through content, I think you can really, really have a lot of fun. And, and, and you know, then you get used to each other and, and your each other's classes as well, because that's going to play a large role in this. As they also pointed out, like, okay, these are group enemies. This is a group quest, but this is perfectly soloable if you're good enough. Yeah, no, I there was nothing about this trailer that I didn't absolutely adore, to be honest. Um, or footage, I should say, not trailer. The and and I mean the artwork, like the 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 style of this game is absolutely insane. I'm hoping to hell that my well, I'm my system should run it no problem but holy crap in hell it's it's just absolutely gorgeous i it is right now between that and um, guild wars 2 i like those are the two games that i really cannot wait to play those games yeah it definitely like trailers like this get me excited to see this type of stuff actually be released for general consumer grade consumption and i can't wait 
All right, let's move on from there now. We finally got some information, some very, very slight information, but still some first details on the upcoming Torchlight MMO. Joe, I'm going to let you take that one. Okay. Um, anybody knows that we are big fans of the Torchlight game. Uh, if you didn't pick it up when it was recently on sale for $5 again, uh, you can probably kick yourself in the ass because it's well worth every penny spent on it. Um, we see a, a, an interview with, uh, I believe it was Runic Boss Travis Baltry, um, that it was going to be free to play. Um, and they're saying that it won't fall too far from the single player aspect of the game. Um, it, the best way I can say it is, it, it, it is they're doing this right. It seems like they, they, they're taking an interesting approach to it. They're going to make a game that concentrates on fast action uh, with carving your way through massive hordes of monsters with uh, lots of skills, lots of flashy skills um, that make everybody happy um they're talking about making party-based combat that makes with abilities and skills that make everybody useful to work with everybody else um he also said that he will uh baltry and this is one of the things that really caught me about this small snippet uh he flat out said that he will never ever buy a (laughs) microtransaction item never ever buy a microtransaction item the game's revenue uh is going to be made up somewhere else which means that they have something tricky they have some new model that they introduce into this okay with all the stuff we've we we've set, we've had in the game uh any game out there look at apb and the way i ranted about that last week but just to 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 hear that to see that being said openly in an interview is different than saying we just have something nice up our sleeves we have something different it's we're not going to do this um they don't want their monetization uh, stuff to offer people an ability to skip the game. So if they have anything in there, it's any microtransactions or anything that's going to produce revenue for it, it's not going to be game-breaking. It's not going to be stuff that I have to buy. And I'm okay with that. It, it's stuff that I, I'm okay with those types of transactions, ones that I don't necessarily need. So I'm excited. I am excited. I, I'm just curious as to what this uh, top-secret payment thing that they're, they're teasing and has is coming up with. See, the the thing that I keep thinking, too, about it is um, there, I, I, I do have faith in their, their development abilities, obviously. I mean, look at what they've done. Um, but what they've done has been for a standalone. I don't know. It, it, granted, again, they're talking about the, it's not going to cost a lot, quite obviously. And it's not likely to cost you a lot per month, if anything you know kind of thing so that's all good but then in terms of how rich an experience it can be as an mmo if it's still going to have the same feel as the standalone which is a dungeon crawler are we at a point where a dungeon crawler can pass for an mmo how much are they going to have to add to it to still keep it feeling the same as that dungeon crawler and still be grand enough in scope that it can qualify as an MMO. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, but I, I have faith. I have faith in the Runic boys. They gave me one hell of a game. Um, I'm, I'm thinking we'll get one hell of a game out of this as well. I think they'll fight the evil influence. Yeah. yeah. Just wait and see. Yeah. Um, other stuff that we heard about this week as well. We heard about a little bit about uh, Fable 3 again. Now, this was a video that was put out, and it was a combat video where somebody's taking on a pack of wolves that's attacking somebody. Now, having 
played through two and found the combat far too simple and then having been listening to what moneyner has been saying about three and things like that this video did not give me anything positive that suddenly made me think oh yes this will be far superior and will be great i don't know about you guys but i was very very disappointed in this video well, I didn't play through two, but uh, did you kill everything in one hit in that game? <laughs> Damn near. I mean, really, two was geez. very... The combat in two was insanely easy. It's it just... It, it was. I It got to the point where, again, I and I remember podcasting about this when it first came out. <laughs> you could... Um, you, 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 well, you didn't die. You basically got knocked down, and when you do, then you'd get scars. Um, so if you didn't want any scars on your character whatsoever, then you'd make sure to be careful in how you pull the mobs and make sure that you, you know, don't pull too many so that you get taken down. That said, though, I wanted to see at different points, because I didn't care. My guy was a badass with horns. A few scars is not going to make him an angel, so I could care less. So I would just take on, excuse me, huge, huge mobs of, of, of whatever was in my way. And I would look for trouble anywhere I was. It was so ridiculously easy. It was stylized when you're depending on if you were doing a, a spell or shooting with your gun or whatever, but it was so ridiculously easy. And especially if you put your talent points in and all that junk kind of stuff, it, it, it was, yeah, it, it was this. So when I see this, it was like, oh, so combat's not going to be any different then. It's going to be exactly the same where like the, the guys at Joystick were saying they were starting to feel sorry for the wolves. <laughs> so I don't think I have anything constructive to add to that, so you keep going. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. Well, there's nothing constructive coming out of our mouths. You know what? I keep hoping, though, really, and, and I, it's not because I'm buying into Peter's lines of bullshit. I'm not. There were aspects of two that I enjoy, so I would really like to... I, I'd, I'd like it if that were incorporated into three effectively, but also make it more of a challenging and fun game. It's, from what I saw here, no, this is not challenging in the least. I mean, when he can take, the character can take time in between attacks with a pack of wolves that are only attacking him one at a time kind of thing. Um, no, it's not challenging in the least. It's going to be a cakewalk. So I, I was disappointed. Uh, moving on from there, we also got some information about Final Fantasy XIV and the details for the launch editions. Vince, I'll let you take care of that. All right, yeah. So last week, Square Enix released their information on the launch of Final Fantasy XIV. And to sum it up, we are not amused. <laughs> nope. The... We will be seeing on September 22nd, the collector's edition for $75. And it has, you know, some stuff in there, some behind the scenes DVDs, their version of the Blizzard Authenticator. And okay. And we're not seeing the regular edition for eight days after that. So if you would like to play the game when it first launches, you have to pay an extra $25. Oh, and that PS3 version that they keep promising is coming right around the corner. Yeah, that that's coming in March. Sorry, guys. Yeah, it really, I'm, I'm a sucker for collector's editions. I, I've made that very clear over the years. I really am. This one here, there's there's next to nothing that worthy of twenty five dollars extra. 
nothing. It was absolutely pitiful. It's stuff like this that has made it me get to the point where I'm almost ready to just completely write this off. And I don't say that too terribly often, but the more I'm hearing about it, the more I'm feeling Final Fantasy XI all over again. Um, the, the collector's edition was just, a, I want to say, a kick in the teeth almost. I mean, I love collector's editions. Don't, I, I have a shelf full of them to my left here, um, but I just I can't see myself getting that jazzed up about this uh, this game, this release, or this collector's edition. What started out with with hope and optimism and, and and like you know the little kid you know in the candy store getting excited to spend his ten cents on the penny candy is turning into I got that penny candy. I walked outside and the bully stomped on it. I don't know. I'm just not feeling too too confident about this game. See, as I've said multiple times here and elsewhere, I really think they have a good game in here. It's just if the game gets the support it needs and the time it needs and okay the game comes out in a couple months they haven't even started the actual beta yet they're still in alpha testing and two-thirds of the world hasn't been implemented a good chunk of the classes haven't been implemented do you really think this is going to get quality testing time before it's on the shelves nope not even close and it's gonna that, get rushed out and be horrible that has been square's big problem they they can make a good game final fantasy 11 had a lot of good elements to it it just they fell short on a few things it was the company's first mmo they didn't really know what they were doing so we expected more from 14 and at first it seemed like they were delivering and yet here it is with the same clueless company that ran 11 they they learned a whole lot on the gameplay side of things but they have a long way to go on the business side one thing I will say, and this is this game is shaping up to be a classic argument for East versus West game development. Um, Square has been every time they create a new game, they create a brand new engine for it. They don't recycle engines. This is holding true for this as well. My from what I've read about it, they spent so much time getting just the basic framework together for the game that everything else has suffered as a result. Um, and this is a very I, I talked about this a little bit before, but this is a very Eastern versus Western philosophy and game development. When you talk about Western game development, a company will purchase an engine license to use for their game system so they don't have to go through and code everything. If anybody who's tried coding out anything and has tried to make a game engine will tell you it's fucking hard. It will take a long ass time. It will take a ton of resources. This is why a lot of the games you see coming out right like in the West like Batman and and uh, even with uh, War for Cybertron are built on an engine that's already pre-existing and has already paid its dues. In the East however every time they want to make a new game they create a brand new engine from scratch. And the pinnacle of this has been Square. Every Final Fantasy game that's come out has been a brand new engine built from scratch. Uh, every every game that they've touched, period, has been a new game system built from scratch. Now, while it may be functionally similar in UI elements, the back end is completely stripped and reworked and done completely differently than any of the previous iterations. So I think that's where they're really shooting themselves in the foot. There is a great IP here. There's a great world. There are great things that they can possibly do with this one, but they spent so much goddamn time just making sure the damn thing works that they don't have the time to put into it before it's released. And even then, I'm not I'm not too confident about it working properly. So suck it up, guys in the East. Buy a fucking engine and make a good game. Thanks. <laughs> it's a game I really like to 
get my hands on a beta key for more than any other game because Terra, we we kind of know what we're getting into there. Warcraft, we know what we're getting and with with uh, Old Republic. Again, we we mostly know where we're going there. But with Final Fantasy 14, they will not get a penny of my money until I can actually see the product beforehand. All right, let's move on from there, though, to a game that you definitely were willing to jump at, and that was the War for Cybertron. Uh, we got a little bit of news in terms of the DLC that's going to be coming out, which is going to contain the stuff that was available for the pre-order, which we're seeing a lot more where they're doing that now. There's uh, not much point buying pre-ordering now because a lot of those bonuses, you're just going to get them later on anyway in, in DLC format. And there's even less reason to spend $100 on eBay for a freaking Shockwave skin. <laughs> God, what are these people thinking? But yes, at the uh, BotCon this past week, they snuck out a few details about the upcoming downloadable content for War for Cybertron. And I got to say, the amount of content they're putting in here, if they can deliver it at a good price point, it would be a very good value. We're getting two new multiplayer maps. We're getting two new escalation maps, which is their horde firefight type mode. And more importantly, we are getting five new playable characters and multiplayer. We're getting the three pre-order bonuses, Demolisher, Shockwave, and Jazz. And they've announced two new ones coming, which actually are going to fill pretty uh, important roles in the multiplayer. Because as it is, when you're selecting your chassis for multiplayer, you're basing yourself upon what's available in the single player mode. So if you're playing a Decepticon and you want to play a leader class, well, leaders are trucks and the only Decepticon truck there was in single player was Soundwave. So every single Decepticon leader you see in multiplayer is just Soundwave with a different paint scheme. So they're showing us that Onslaught is going to be one of the new playable characters who is the leader of the Combaticons and is quite often seen as a truck form. And also on the Autobot side, they're introducing Scattershot, who was the leader of the Technobots team. And he was some sort of cannon microscope thing. Honestly, I don't remember, but he could very easily be changed into a tank model, which is sorely lacking on the Autobot side. If you're an Autobot playing a soldier class, everybody looks like Warpath. So they're taking some real holes in the game and filling them up in addition to providing a lot of additional content. And Joe, you're still playing that one, eh? Thanks to uh, my my wonderful girlfriend, um, who was kind enough to make sure that I got a copy with the Amazon pre-order code of all things. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm a, I love the game. I think it's a great game. I think it's you know well done, and I absolutely love the multiplayer aspect of it. I think it's great to run around and just you know scream I Megatron bitches and shoot somebody in the face. Um, I like the idea that they are going to be bringing some of the pre-order models into the game otherwise. So, see, it, and I have never liked the that that they just give you stuff that you there's there's no point to the pre-orders anymore. I always liked that if you were showing the company a little bit of faith and buying something, pre-ordering it, and that their cookie to you is saying, "Here's some." some something cool that'll be different than everybody else's but now it's just that okay you're getting something that other people will have to pay for later on down the road um so in that regard okay fine i'm 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 over that now <laughs> i'm just not pre-ordering shit anymore um because it's frankly not worth it because you've sometimes if you look at how many duds we've gotten stuck with just in this year alone that we wouldn't have otherwise have bought so i'm i'm 
I, I can accept it as, at that, but I'm still not happy. I would like those pre-orders to be something that that is unique, that does show this person actually had faith in the IP and they decided to 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 show that. Well, and I would agree with that to a certain point, but there's another side of the coin here. A lot of the stuff that we're pre-ordering are pre-existing IPs or IPs that we already have a a pre-disposition to to love. Um, Transformers is a really good example of that. At this point, when I'm pre-ordering these games, I'm pre-ordering just to make sure I have a copy of them because there are several times where I will go to the stores and there won't be any copies. And this is a common trend that's occurring all throughout at least the United States. Retailers are ordering less and less copies in order to cut back loss margins. Um, so it's not as easy to walk into a game store and say, hey, I want a copy of you know Transformers War for Cybertron. Uh, to give you an idea, even though I wasn't able to purchase it myself, I did ask. Target was sold out, at least two Targets in the Buffalo area, the two major ones. Um, three game stores were completely sold out, and this is just within 15 miles of my home. Um, so most of the smaller stores were sold out. So if you wanted the game, it was very, very difficult to get. And a lot of the on- online retailers were also out of stock temporarily for the first day or so. See, so I, I would already, argue that I would argue with that just because in, in this podcast alone, you mentioned we've mentioned two games that were brand new IPs that I pre-ordered one being Ion, the other one APB. So it's not just about existing IPs that we have faith in, but it's about new games that we do as well. No, I understand that, but I'm, and I understand your 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 point with those. When if I'm pre-ordering a brand new IP, yes, I should have uh, a cookie. I should have something that gives me. Uh, you know, the badge that says I have faith in this developer, but it hits me a lot less when it's a game that I knew I was going to buy anyway, because I don't really care that I got a pre-order demolisher uh, with, you know, the, the, the game that I got. I don't really care. That was, didn't factor into it. I just wanted to make sure, you know, I, when I order games, I want to make sure I just get the damn game now. Uh, it's the same thing with like StarCraft 2. Uh, yes, the collector edition is there to pre-order, but I pre-ordered it because I want to make sure I get a fucking copy. You know, I don't want to walk into a store, say, give me that and not have it there. So, I mean, there are, there are exceptions to the rule. I'm not saying it's a blanket thing, um, but it's, uh, you have to be prepared for that. Um, you have to be prepared for the, the, this is more about supply and demand than it is about faith in the IP. Now, again, I will say flat out, I'll say it one more time. I agree. When it's a brand new IP, I should have a cookie that says you had faith in us. Thank you. I shouldn't have to scramble to find a game that I knew I was going to buy anyway just because it's wildly popular, though. So I will pre-order to make sure it has it. So that, again, that does not bother me when they take those pre-orders and put them out there. Yeah, I I I do like the idea of getting something for pre-ordering. I think it's a great marketing tool. Like just to go back uh, several years when Wind Waker came out on GameCube, I knew I was mm-hmm. going to buy the game anyway. I I was okay if I didn't get it day one, but if I didn't pre-order it, I didn't get that freaking Ocarina of Time disc. <laughs> so it's a great marketing tool to allow people to not I want to say allow, but to push people a little harder to buy a game that they do want. But Sam did hit it on the head. I am sick of retailer exclusive pre-orders. If I've got Mm -hmm. to deal with Amazon and GameStop and Target and Toys R Us and Publix dealing in a pissing contest over who has the coolest exclusive character, I am not interested at all. And don't forget the... The idea of the cookie is, is an antiquated idea anyway. I mean, when we used to pre-order games back in the day, we didn't get shit for pre-ordering it. We just got the game. Yeah. Just, just saying. Yeah. 
Well, it's also a way to be able to um, encourage people to actually buy the game and not just to download it and from where sites. Um, so in that regard as well, that extra cookie is something that really did not cost the developer a lot because in most cases you're looking at either a pet or an extra skin for something or whatever. So a little bit of extra developmental time that then will make it so that people actually want to buy the product versus just download it. So in that regard, again, it would be nice if they kept it at that so that it was a thanks for buying the game, which I know they don't, they shouldn't have to, but let's be honest, what you should have to do and what you, you know, what you what is encouraged to do are two very different things. And we live in a reality where a lot of people still download their, their games. So, but then to later sell it is then just, that's, that's a money grab that then is negating that other, here's something nice for buying our product. And I know, again, it's, it's, you shouldn't have to do that, but I, I look at it as a nice thing too, that yes, you're supporting us. So here you go. Here's a little extra bonus. But I will agree with, and OMG Sem said this in the uh, the chat, you, you pre-order from one, and let's say there's two bonuses that would really make your day. Um, and I'll use War for Cybertron as an example. I Star Trek Online. I'm not, no, I'm not even going to bother. I'm not even going to bother talking about that one. Um, because that pre-order stuff was just ridiculous, and I got them all anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, but when you're talking about War for Cybertron, you're talking about the different skins. You're talking about the Jazz skin. You're talking about the Demolisher skin. You're talking about the Shockwave skin. I am a fucking fanatic when it comes to Transformers. I wanted every single one of these skins. I'm not going to lie. I wanted every single one of them. And I can't have them all if they don't make them available to me. And as a longtime fan of the IP in general, that does seem like a kick in the nuts. Making it so that it's a, an exclusive pre-order for all these different areas really makes me feel like I'm losing out. So by letting us have the ability to, to eventually get that stuff, it does make, it makes me feel better about it because yeah, that's, that's what I want to see. I want, I would love to see the, the site exclusive pre-order bonus die. I really, really would because it's just, it's antiquated. It's, it's no longer necessary. Okay. With that, we're actually going to take a short break and then we're going to come back with a little bit of APB news. I hope you like it rough, honey. Being with me is like having two guys in one. Don't pretend you don't like a guy with a wild side panting at you. No, no, it's just hot in here. I'd like to mark your territory. What? It's my thing. Don't be afraid. I don't bite. Hard. What big ears I have? You should check out the rest of me. You're like the moon, baby. You make me howl all night. If you play nice, I'll share my bone with you. I hope you like it rough. <sighs> Honey, being with me is like having two guys in one. Don't pretend you don't like a guy with a wild side. Panting at you. No. No. It's just hot in here. I'd like to mark your territory. What? It's my thing. Don't be afraid. I don't bite. Hard. What big ears I have? You should check out the rest of me. You're like the moon, baby. 
You make me howl all night. If you play nice, I'll share my bone with you. Being bitchy is in my blood. Don't pretend you don't like it. I hope you don't mind a little howling in bed. Don't worry, babe. The fur's just something to hold on to. I'm looking for a man who appreciates natural beauty. I just want someone to pat me on my head and tell me I'm a good girl. <laughs> well, hello. I'll teach you how to make my legs shake. You know, Worgen women have six nipples. It all matches. Trust me. You can take me home. I'm housebroken. And we're back. We're going to touch a little bit on APB. The, the game has been out now for a little bit, and we're seeing some reviews that are cropping up. Granted, most of the reviews have been on the European side, not on the North American side. The North, uh, the European reviews, for the most part, have not been all that positive. I mean, we've got reviews ranging from, you know, 55% to 65%. Um, and then you've got an interview wherein Dave Jones is talking about the game and is fairly defensive about and prattling it. on. Yeah, and saying how people's expectations were too high. Now, we were talking about this pre-show, and I was saying... I, I, I've bounced back in again, and I've been playing again, um, not just because I was in the beta, but also having interviewed the guys and having read more about the game. I kind of feel like I, I knew more what I was getting into with the game. So I wasn't expecting Grand Theft Auto. I was not expecting a full-blown MMO. So really, I got what I was expecting, and in that regard... I have fun with it. I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to actually bounce into some games with, uh, with you, Joe, or with some other people, mm -hmm. and to have some fun in that regard. But again, I know that I'm going to be making my own fun, or as a group, you're making your own fun, and that's where it's... it's um, that's where the, the fun is in the game. It's not about the questing in the game. That's not where you're going to have your fun. So, because the questing is very thin, and but they point blank said that. So, knowing what the game is, and not my expectations of what it should be, I would give it a higher rating um, than that. Because again, it's not it's not trying to be a wow with you know tons and tons of quests. That's simply not what it is. Uh, have you been playing more of it, Joe, or just a little bit here and there? A little bit here and there. Um, I'm finding it very hard to get right into it. And I think that's really, I, I don't think it's a, a problem with the game itself. I think it's more a problem with me as a player. Um, I like having things to do to some extent. I like having a framework. I like being able to work outside that framework, but I like some form of structure. You know what I mean? Like I know that I can do a couple things in this area that there's like, a, wow, is a good, good example. Um, I know that certain quests are for certain areas. And here though, uh, the player created uh, content, I guess you would say, um, isn't catching me quite as bit as I thought it would um, having to because I'm, I'm playing an enforcer when I do get on because I wanted to be a cop in a really kick-ass car um, but it's just having to sit and wait and wait for something to happen I don't know if it's just when I'm on people are just lame and not doing anything um, but it can get very boring very quickly while you're sitting there waiting and that's where I'm at right now like it's it's a it's a decent game and I, like you said I, I don't I never expected it to be 
Grand Theft Auto. I didn't. I never did. Um, anybody who does, you're either smoking crack or you didn't pay attention to anything that was said about the game by anybody. Um, but yeah, I'm just it's 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 okay. It's not groundbreaking. It's not uh, it's not nothing I'm going to write home to Mama about. It's just kind of there. And Vince, you haven't even touched the game, have you? No, and uh, honestly, at this point, I'm probably not going to. Like I said, it's a game I really was interested in, and I I hoped it did well more as a business model than a game because it just didn't interest me that much gameplay wise. Like it, I'm sure if it's fun and you know I could pay pay ten bucks and have you know two months worth of game time for me, it was an you know it might have been a worthwhile purchase. But I I don't know. There's there's too much here that I'm seeing that just doesn't interest me. Yeah, see, I'm seeing this very much like uh, a first-person shooter, which I know that's not what it is, but that's how I'm I'm seeing it. Where if I feel like just bouncing into a game, and because I'm actually playing a criminal, um, not because I'm afraid of playing an enforcer, but because the criminal is much more you can go and make your own fun. You're not waiting for something to happen. So just go and you're the one that instigates the enforcer having to come after you kind of thing so i like that i like being able to okay i'm bouncing in and i'm not going to be wasting any of my time i'm just going to do a whole bunch of stuff whether it's go steal like this afternoon i was playing for a little while and instead of i did some of the quest lines and whatnot but instead of just you know standing around sniping people i thought okay well i'm gonna need a good gun because <laughs> that does make a difference um so I'll just go steal a bunch of cars and start delivering the cars to make myself some money. And I did a lot of that. And then meanwhile, every once in a while, while you're stealing a car, boom, an enforcer is on your tail and is now going to be trying to stop you. So then you have that different aspect of the game that takes over. I think that's part of my problem with it, though, too, is it seems very lopsided in regards to criminal versus enforcer you know what i mean like the game seems a lot better balanced and a lot more fun for a criminal you can generate your own content you can go rob uh, a bank you can go steal cars but if you want to play as an enforcer you have to lie in wait there's really nothing you can do proactively to to get your juices going so to speak um and that in and of itself is a bit concerning because well you spend a lot of your downtime doing absolutely nothing uh, at certain hours, depending what the population is around you, what's going on around you. So it's, it's that I think would be one of my gripes about it. I think it is just, it seems very lopsided to the criminal side of things right now. That may change. That may change as people realize what the game is and start playing, but being an enforcer can be very boring. What I've found though, is that there's, there's, what I'm seeing is a lot more criminals than enforcers right now. Granted, I'm still seeing a lot of enforcers, which means that you're seeing there's plenty opportunity for at least when I when I was playing and then during the beta as well, where an enforcer can can find something to do if they want. Now, granted, that's going to have be impacted as well by um, the time that you're playing if there's enough people on because it is a limited population um but no i again i i do enjoy playing the criminal that being said too though the enforcers do have certain bonuses that make them pretty powerful if you're going one-on-one against them especially with the stun mechanics as they are now so i think it's a you know 
there's there's bonuses to both just not in the same categories kind of thing like you got a bonus to fighting whereas you got a bonus to um creating your own excitement in the game that kind of stuff you know what i mean yeah i, I kind of see that so but again that, that's not to say that the, the the class balance is perfect not by any means but again knowing what it is and and going in with that i'm finding that i do enjoy it and but is it something that i would play as much as i've played while in the five past five years not even close not even close but to be able to bounce in to have some fun and taking into consideration that pay structure model so that whatever you know that the, the 10 hours that i buy or the 20 hours or whatever that i buy will last me actually quite a while i'm good with that i have absolutely no problems because i know that i'm going to be able to make good use of that over time and that I, again i'll know what i'm getting into when i'm playing if i feel like just going in and wreaking havoc and stealing a bunch of cars there you go and see for that i do like the game i like the game that it's it's I like to refer to some movies as popcorn flicks. They're not really very deep, but you still get some enjoyment out of them. You know, you can sit there and munch on popcorn while watching cars explode. Uh, this is the popcorn video game. This is I can hop in. Maybe I can contact, you know, you or Rick and say, hey, you know, let's go. Let's go rob a bank or let's go. Let's go shoot some guys in the head. You know, whatever. Let's go have some fun and we can go do that. But if I want to have a deep complicated uh or more robust gaming experience i don't think i'm going to get it from here oh hell no 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 i completely so. agree so let's move on from there just touch on one last piece of news um there was an article that was written about the nintendo 3ds where they were talking about how we would be able to see far better looking games were it not for the fact that the unit has to produce two images for the 3d so because of that the games aren't going to look nearly as good but they will be in 3d versus the power that they could use the system for to produce 2d at a much higher quality and i was wondering what you guys thought about that in terms of is it a worthwhile trade-off vince we'll go with you first well honestly it kind of depends on the quality we're getting at 3d we, we, we really don't know yet. It's it's the way with the 3DS, it's weird that we really won't know what we're getting until we're actually looking at it with our own eyes. You can't watch a video online and see how cool the game looks in 3D. It just doesn't work. So, yes, I'm sure the games would look better in a standard format than in the fancy three-dimensional, but that's not to say that they're going to look bad in 3D. My problem, and, and this is something that I've been looking at since they released the hardware specs on it, um, Tom'sHardware.com has a great write-up of how the actual 3D effect of the 3DS is produced. Um, the way that they do it with the the polarization of two separate screens interlaced among each other um, makes it so that you can't really turn the effect on or off. So I think that... That was one thing that was kind of, I guess, concerning because a game can be absolute shit in 3D, but I just want to play it in 2D, but I don't have that option. Um, that said, though, some of the titles that they have, you know, slighted for 3D, not only that, but some of the developers that we're seeing come out of the woodwork and jumping on the system like Hudson. Um, you, I think we're going to have a wide range of interesting games uh, that will utilize the 3D. So, yeah, it's it's. 
it's too bad that you're not going to be able to have enough control over um, whether you want to play something in 2D or 3D. And or that the developers won't have the option to choose how they want to put it out. So basically, Nintendo's decided for everyone that the way to go now is going to be 3D if you're developing for the DS. And I don't think that's fair to... Well, I mean, within reason, yes, they still have the other ones and whatnot, but the the the, the, the one that everybody's going to care about is going to be the 3DS. So, but it'd be nice if you would be able to, again, as a developer, choose to put that processing power to putting out like a kick-ass 2D game, but instead you're going to be stuck with the 3D, the the 3D mechanics. Well, and and I don't know, like I were talking about in the in the uh, the chat here a little bit. Yes, there's a slider on it that will allow you to adjust the depth, but the way that it is physically set up makes it impossible not to have 3D. You can adjust the level of it because literally the way it works is um, you've ever gone driving by one of the the wood fences that have a slot, like a, a post on either side, like one is on one side of it, then the next post or the next slant of it is on the other side of it, and it creates this weird strobe effect. That's exactly what they're doing with these screens it's the way they're set up so you can adjust how far away these screens are from each other which will give you a different depth to the game but you can never turn it off completely um i don't like the idea that the system is going to be completely shoehorned like that i understand it's necessary uh to have 3d without glasses because uh 3d with glasses requires very complicated circuitry as well as a synchronization broadcast chip uh, built into TVs or the game system unit and a receiver built into the, the actual glasses, um, which makes it expensive and bulky. And in order to make it light and cheap, they have to do that. Um, they have to have it set up like this. So if I fail absolutely, uh, absolutely immensely at, let's say, uh, Kid Icarus 3D, I can't turn that off. So, um, but... Oh, and OMG Sam, not exactly. The way that it works right now is there are literally breaks in the screen. So there is there's actual negative space. There will, If they do that, if they put the same image on both screens, it won't be true 2D. It will still have this weird distortion to it because they will not be lined up perfectly. Um, so, sorry. yeah, it's... It's... Um, it's, it's Again, I keep going back to it's a it's a necessary evil based on the way that they're doing it, but it's too bad that that for some people are going to feel that all that processing power is going to waste. And to a certain degree it is because I fear that a lot of the 3D stuff will become just a gimmick for some. It'll be done very well in some cases, but in a lot of cases much like the the Wii will be gimmicky and we'll be stuck with that. Well, what, just one thing I'd like to cover real quick is with a handheld, you're probably never going to deliver a an experience that you could get at home. Just with the, this, first of all, the size. I mean, to, to properly do 3D, I don't think you can really do it these days without, you know, analog camera control and a lot of things we've come to expect from a console game. And in my opinion, that's where the PSP kind of failed for me as it was trying really hard to deliver that console experience without the console uh, tool set. And every time they tried, it just didn't quite work for me. I'm perfectly happy with a portable game being good as a portable game. I don't want the same 
experience on my handheld as I do on my console. So while graphics will only get you so far, maybe this 3D is what we what the industry needs to really separate the handheld experience from the console experience. Okay. With that, we're actually going to wrap it up for tonight. Thanks for joining us this evening. Make sure to stop by again next week. And uh, basically, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Almost made it. Ba weep, grana weep, ninny bong. If this phrase means anything to you, then Transformers War for Cybertron is absolutely a game you need to play. War for Cybertron is a third-person shooter available for Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and PC, developed by High Moon Studios and published by Activision. And yes, War for Cybertron is the game Transformers fans have been waiting pretty much their entire lives for. This game does absolutely everything perfectly. Well, maybe not perfectly, but close enough and it hits on every major point you would want it to so that the small imperfections really do not detract from the overall product. First of all, the game is gorgeous. Now granted, Cybertron is not the most visually appealing place. It's all metal, pretty much gray with a little bit of blue or purple thrown in here and there. But it's the details that really set it apart. Seeing the Cybertronian architecture and the statues with their detail is truly stunning. But to be honest, nobody cares what Cybertron looks like as long as the Transformers look awesome. And they absolutely do. The detail on the character models is nothing short of impressive. Something is always moving, they really get the feel that they are transforming robots. Even in their idle animations with Optimus Prime's wheels twitching on his back, or the parts of your weapon sliding and switching as you reload. Even on the vehicle modes, when you're a jet, you actually see the flaps on the plane moving with the air as you're banking left and right. Backing up the wonderful visuals is some amazing sound work. The music in the game comes and goes with the tempo of the action, and while it's nothing stunning, it definitely works for the places where it's at. The voices, however, have got to be some of the best voice work I have heard in any game to date. To begin with, they actually got Peter Cullen to revise his role from 25 years ago as Optimus Prime, and the moment he talks, you are firmly put into this game. While none of the other original voice actors were available for the work on the game, the voice actors they did get do a very admirable job of replicating the voices that we knew and loved from our childhood. One in particular was Steve Bloom, who did such an amazing job with the narrator, I actually had to go back and see if that was the narrator from the original cartoon series but just about anybody can get a game to look right and sound right. What really matters is does it feel right. As I said earlier, War for Cybertron really does hit on every single point it needs to, most importantly the characters. Optimus Prime starts off a little unsure of himself, but you can see the glimmer of the great hero he will become in the future. Bumblebee is the loyal soldier, and Ironhide is just as awesome as you would want Ironhide to be. Megatron is as ruthless as you imagine him, and Starscream is perfect as the cocky, devious Decepticon we all knew growing up. The story takes place on Cybertron, millions of years before the beginning of the Generation 1 cartoon series. It delves into the beginning of the war between the Autobots and the Decepticons. The story is told through ten missions, five Decepticon and five Autobot. While you can start the Autobot campaign right away, it really is better to start with the Decepticon campaign, as it's the first chronologically. 
Playing through the Decepticon campaign, you see Megatron's rise to power and his quest for the Dark Energon, a powerful energy source he hopes to use in his conquest. You see his first meeting with Starscream and how he turns his future lieutenant to his side. The Decepticon campaign is pretty fun. It's nice to go through as the ruthless Megatron and just destroy every Autobot that gets in your way, eventually building up to the climactic battle with Omega Supreme. But the Autobot campaign is where the true fun lies. As soon as you get behind the controls of Optimus Prime, the game absolutely takes off. The mission structure is more varied. Instead of the normal go here, kill this that you saw in the Decepticon campaign, you really get a feeling for the fight that the Autobots are putting up. Of particular interest are the flying missions. There's one in each campaign, and I cannot even begin to tell you how fun they are. In the major missions, where you're Megatron, Optimus, or any of their soldiers, the transformation mechanic is mostly for transportation purposes. You get a little bit of combat here and there, but most of the time it's running and gunning. However, in the flying missions, your jet form becomes an integral part of the gameplay. There are times where you'll be flying through space, barrel rolling, avoiding missiles, returning fire of your own, transforming in midair to land, pump out a few rounds, and then transforming again to take off before the enemy can counterattack. The flying missions really end up being more dynamic than the ground ones, and I really wish there was more than one in each campaign. Once you finish the campaign, you get to witness an absolute treat. The ending credits of the game are set to the song Till All Are One by none other than Stan Bush, Transformers songwriter for the ages. Now while the game may be very smooth, with great transitions between your robot modes and your vehicle modes, and pretty much constant action, there are a few quirks here and there. Sometimes when you're transforming too close to an object, your character can get hung up. It happens occasionally, and it's a little frustrating, especially if it happens in the middle of a firefight, but it's really the only major problem I encountered with the game. Of course, the phenomenal campaign mode isn't all the game has to offer. There are three different varieties of multiplayer available. First of all, you have the traditional co-op mode, where you and two friends can play through the campaign, each choosing a different character. You have what they call Escalation Mode, which is similar to the Gears of War Horde Mode or the Halo ODST Firefight Mode, where you and your group must survive wave after wave of enemies. You can collect points for kills you make and spend those on weapon upgrades or even defensive upgrades for your entire group. It requires great teamwork, and when you have a good group can be lots of fun. Then of course you have your traditional multiplayer with game modes such as Deathmatch, Team Deathmatch, and their version of King of the Hill called Conquest. At first I had thought the multiplayer is really going to be a tacked-on portion of the game, and I could not have been more wrong. With the four available classes for players to choose, there are a lot of variables that all come together into a truly astounding multiplayer experience. You have your Soldier class, which has an alternate mode of a tank and is your typical big, burly damage dealer. You have the Leader class with their alternate mode of a truck, and they focus more on helping out the group with their ability to buff their teammates. You have the scouts with their alternate mode of a car, which are a great stealth class for sneaking up behind enemies or pulling off great sniper shots. And of course you have the scientist with their alternate mode of a jet, which are actually a healer in this game, although they can provide some great support with their auto turrets. When you have a good team of people working together of all the different classes, the game really does come together. Although, if you don't have a good mix, and the opposing team does, you really notice just how unbalanced it can be. And while the multiplayer may have had some lag issues when the game first came out, my experiences this weekend were smooth as can be. I highly recommend playing this game online. Of course, I highly recommend playing this game offline as well. In the end, Transformers War for Cybertron is just a very good game. It doesn't do anything astronomically better than any other game of its type, 
but it delivers a solid gameplay experience on top of some great story that fans have been waiting years to see. say thanks for adding a ginormous article into the wave at the last minute that was awesome and fyi i'm, I'm also on <laughs> not only has it been a crappy weekend and day i'm also on my pain meds so the down all threes with codeine so i'm pretty mellow right now there's <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> it's, it's not gonna Gee, be I an exciting noticed. podcast yeah <laughs> hello and welcome to for the lore yeah <laughs> they'll be lucky if they get that like a freaking tranquil from dragon age Aww. I made a friend. I don't feel like broadcasting it. Screw that shit. <laughs> like, thanks for two, coming to the chat room, guys. Uh, download the show on Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> you see, Roger, I changed my Twitter avatar just for you. Well, aren't you just a deer? <laughs> I'm still seeing the stupid cat, though. Yeah, this is the cat. Oh, okay, that's what you... I thought you meant you changed it to something not so annoying. Yeah. And if anybody bitches about mine, I swear I'll bitch a Very slowly and calmly. But yes, I will. But my point will be made. What's hey, matter? Still, yeah, you're here. Uh, Vince, Vince got hung up on, sorry. Oh. Um, okay, stop talking now. I'm bringing him back in, and then we'll keep going from there. <laughs> For the record, I didn't hang up on What the hell, man? Dude, we, I, every once in a while, you got to put in a good opinion. Otherwise, we're hanging up on you. Mm-hmm. If you're just going to shut up or say stupid shit, then we're just going to hang up on you. No, I don't know from, what happened. From now on, I'm just going to interrupt you every chance I get then. Stop talking. You're creating shit for me to edit out later. <laughs> well, seeing as I have no idea what the hell Joe just said, uh, I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty good where I am, so we can talk about the cat some more. We're not talking about the cat. <laughs> Dude, there was one point where I'm reading the comic, and I just stood up and screamed, go, go, Power Rangers. And the people... You do I was a in lot the... of that, don't you? Just standing up really and random screaming. crap. I mean, this is why my friends love me. And now the zombie ones? There's freaking zombie ones. The Black, black Lanterns. Yes. Yeah. What the hell? Is that... Zombies. Like, are said, they still around? Thunders. What the hell was that? I don't know. It just felt like something random to do. I don't know. There's still something fun about taking two of your friends and screaming Viva La Mexico and you know, taking a small portion of it for yourself. Oh, so, I yeah. I got to tell you that not, not everybody does actually. that screaming. <laughs> for those of us that don't scream random you shit. You know what? Remind me never to play Xbox Live with you, man. I'm probably not one to talk, buddy of mine. We spent an entire Halo, th- we spent an entire Halo Three match one time singing the Baddie song from Fern Gully. <laughs> wow. How do you guys have girlfriends? Get 